Hey, quick note before we get going. This is episode 25. Next week's episode will be episode 26. That's half a year, and that is the end of our first season here on Stoner. I'm going to take a short break to work on making the second season even bigger and even better, and I hope you will follow me there. If you'd like to send me an email, hi at stoner.co. Okay, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Stoner. This week on the show, I talked to Mira Gonzalez. She is a poet and a writer and maintains a Twitter account that I very much appreciate. And I think some point over the years, I remembered she tweeted um, that she had drunk an entire bottle of weed lube and narrated her experiences around this uh, this lodge somewhere in my memory. And I remembered it and thought I should have her on the show. Uh, here she is, Mira Gonzalez. Hello? Hello, Mira. Hello. Oh, sorry about my dog. Hi, no, dog. no. Okay. The do- the Don't dogs scream. are the dogs are fine. <laughs> let let them let them uh, live their best life. Whew, you say that, but boy, are they fucking loud. It is really it is really something. You are someone uh, who's unusual among guests that I've had on the show. Usually I have to do this strange dance where I'm like I thought you might smoke weed. I'm not really sure. <laughs> like, and basically, I have to do. I have to ask them in a way that they're um, that so you could even offend someone by like making that perception. Right. Um, you have right. written. You seem like you smoke a lot of pot. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you have openly uh, declared that you smoke a lot of pot on the internet. When do you remember the first time you publicly entered yourself as someone who liked weed and into the public record that is uh, Twitter or uh, maybe live journal before it. Are you too young for live journal? <laughs> no, I think I'm actually just the right age. You're just for the right journal. age. Okay. I definitely like I was a huge fan of live journal in like middle school. Like that was like the live journal time for me. It was like my space in live journal, but live journal was for if you were like, you know, more emo and like had more feelings than most people in my space. So when I first got a Twitter account, it was like 2010, I want to, uh, 2009 maybe. Um, yeah. I was like in my senior year of high school. And at the time, uh, to be honest, I didn't smoke weed. I smoked weed for the first time when I was, I want to say 13. Um, and I liked weed kind of up until age 16 or 17. And then I just sort of, it sort of started making me like a little paranoid or anxious, or maybe I just like thought it wasn't cool or something. And so I stopped for like, maybe like two years. Um, and during that time was when I got a Twitter account. So pretty much right away when I got a Twitter account, I was like openly tweeting about like drinking underage or drug use and stuff like that. Where do you think that comes from in you? Um, like being comfortable just living in the open in that way? Well, so I come from like a, a family of uh, giant weirdos. My uh, mom was always very, I mean, she obviously never like encouraged us to do drugs because that yeah. would be terrible, but. She um, was always very, like, open about, like, you know, talking to us about, like, drugs or, like, sex. I, like, I remember uh, vividly this one time when I was a teenager, my mom saying to me, like, Mira, you should never, ever do heroin. But if you're ever in a situation where you're going to do heroin, you should smoke it instead of shooting it. And I remember <laughs> thinking when I was young, like, wow, even as a, as a young person who's never done heroin, never planning to do heroin, like, I was like, wow, that's kind of really good like harm reduction advice um and so as a result of that i think that i guess i just never viewed like using drugs recreationally as like something that was taboo or something that was you know 
bad necessarily. Yeah. Um, especially weed use, I think, was like, I, I knew from a pretty young age that weed was different than other drugs and that weed was a lot safer and a lot better than other drugs. So that's specifically, like, I've never really felt the need to hide that from anybody. You grew up in, like, a artistic household. What do you think that kind of an environment, like, how does it influence um, who you are now? Um, and I should say, since I have not introduced it, that you are a poet and a writer. Uh, I am. Yes, I am. Um, yeah, I mean, so my mom is a visual artist, and um, I was raised by my mom and stepdad primarily. And my stepdad was in a punk band in the 80s um, called Black Flag, and he... I'm familiar uh, with this band. Yeah, I, I like feel like an asshole saying that pretty often. Like, oh, no, I, I think you're. I think if <laughs> if your stepdad is a Black Flag, you're you're entitled to introduce it in that matter. <laughs> yeah, I kind of always introduce it in that way because I don't want to like assume that people know it, and then like if somebody doesn't know the band, then I'm like, oh, my dad was in Black Flag, and they'll just <laughs> that I'm like trying to be like cool or something, and they don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, so gr- I mean, yeah, growing up like with that family, I often compare it to you know, like if you grew up in a family of like lawyers um, that you would likely be encouraged to become a lawyer when you grow up. It was similar in my house, but with art, um, you know, there was a lot, a lot of encouragement to go into music specifically because my um, mom and my stepdad and my older brother were all in a band together growing up. And so music was um, obviously like a big part of my house. And so So there was a lot of encouragement. Wait, wait, everyone in the house except for you was in a band together. (laughs) Not everybody, no. I'm um, I'm one of five. Okay. So there's like a lot of us, but and one of my siblings is in the band. Um, was it was, was it like anyone could try out for the band? Like how how was it decided <laughs> who in the family got to um, be in the band? Yeah. So it was like my uh, stepdad was. It was he was in the band, I believe, when him and my mom got married. Um, and then they were originally like um just like an instrumental band and then they were looking for a singer and my mom is a singer so she uh started singing for the band and then when my older brother was about 14 he picked up the guitar and immediately loved it and um immediately became very good at it it just because my brother happened to land in music it was sort of like a natural obvious thing for him to be in the band but i was never a musician flat out the way that my brother is so it just never seemed like you know my mom often and still encourages me to sing and I'm like terrified of stages and never ever want to perform so I always said no (laughs) I did something that's so different than my parents I wonder if my parents had been artists whether I'd be like I fucking hate art you know (laughs) right yeah I mean I think that like I often look at people who are artists who don't have artist parents and I'm so impressed I'm like wow you were really because it's a really hard you know Thing to break into to become a professional artist it's, it's not easy you know it's a very oversaturated job and there's a lot of people doing it and you know it takes a lot of bravery and a lot of years of being poor and blah 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 and growing up in my family you know I, I sort of knew the process of becoming an artist you know I like my mom always says everybody in our family has impossible jobs like they all have jobs that people think are not you know normal or possible to get right um, yeah and so for me it was like a natural progression to you know go into that but at the same time you're definitely right there was a pressure to become an artist and specifically I guess the pressure that I felt was that I come from people who perform you know who necessarily to be able to do their art or on stage and they have to gather an audience to watch them and for me you know I was never 
I was kind of a shy kid. I've always been a little bit like depressed and anxious. It was just like never really my thing to be able to, you know, go on stage like that. And so I naturally gravitated more towards writing and illustration, which luckily my parents were very accepting of my mom's a visual artist. And so it was pretty much like as long as you're doing art, then like you're good. My parents are like, okay, well, you don't want to be an artist and you want to be like something that involves going to college, but you're going to go in debt. You're like having, like, why do you like care about school? Blah, blah, blah. And definitely like the flip version of, I think, what most people experience. You, you described uh, stage fright, but your writing, both your poetry and uh, your Twitter feed, which I consider all part of uh, one artistic project, you seem very comfortable with embarrassment. And, and various things that like would make most people far more uncomfortable than uh, getting on a stage with an acoustic guitar or something. What What is your relationship over time with like the idea of being embarrassed, Ben? Like, I think that my um, sort of compulsion to like publicly say things that are really embarrassing or that are like, you know, really cringeworthy and just uh rough you know like i feel more comfortable tweeting you know things than telling like someone face to face like i'll like tweet things about my vagina that i feel uncomfortable telling my gynecologist part of it is that i'm behind a computer screen and so nobody is physically watching me like as long as i have the time and you know energy and and safety to edit my writing into something that i like then i don't feel anxious the way i would on a stage but it's also i think that I think there's a part of me where I feel like if I just point out the most like embarrassing, cringing, like awful things about myself, like if I'm able to go online and just write about all of my like worst, most anxiety inducing personality traits, then I am sort of safe. Like I feel like people can't point it out for me. Like if someone's going to go and insult me, I'll be like, yeah, but I already know that. See, I just tweeted it. So like, you're not actually hurting me. Like I think in a weird way, it's like this vulnerability defense mechanism where if I make myself so vulnerable online, there's like nothing left that somebody could possibly point out to hurt me. You know, the experiences that I'm writing about or talking about or whatever are experiences where I once felt like I could never talk about this. It's so embarrassing. And so I guess there's a sort of empowerment to it, the feeling of like, yeah, okay. So when I was, you know, young, this really horrifying, embarrassing thing happened. And if I can get up in front of an audience or in front of my, you know, Twitter following or whatever and talk about it then you know other people might feel a little bit less sad and a little bit less embarrassed about it because maybe they had something happen that was the same or you know not quite as bad and they were terribly embarrassed about it so there's definitely an aspect of like wanting to normalize the more you know horrifying aspects of being like a woman specifically you know I also like my stepdad always told me growing up that to be like an artist and a performer, basically people pay you to go on stage and do what they're afraid to do, right? They pay you to go on stage and freak out. And for a musician, you know, that might be rolling around on the floor or dancing in front of a huge crowd or singing or something like that. And for a writer, you know, it's the ability to sort of spare my soul, I guess, the ability to sort of, you know, talk about things that nobody else wants to talk about and that's made people feel ashamed. So you you came on you got on Twitter, uh, you took a you took a couple years off the weed. You started basically just tweeting and started writing some pieces online. Started uh, eventually published a couple books. How, you're only what like 25 years old now. This all just happened. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, well, I'm interested in what got you back into weed. In 2013, I believe, I um, dropped out of college and I moved to New York. This was sort of around the time when my writing career was just starting to take off. So right before I moved to New York, I was working in a weed dispensary. Um, and I was also not smoking weed in that dispensary, weirdly. I was just selling weed and I was apparently their best employee because I would never smoke any of the weed. Um, how did you get a job at a, a weed dispensary as a, a non-weed smoker? How did how did that uh, come about? You know, I saw a help wanted sign walking by and I was like, yeah, all right, I'll apply. And yeah. I was, I was honest. I was like, you know, I um, don't smoke weed, but I used to. And I come from a you know family of people who have been really helped by weed and like I'm comfortable with it and I know about it and like I'll not smoke your weed I'll be a good employee what was it like working there in terms of like retail jobs I've had a lot of them and it was like by far the best um and so when I got this job at the weed dispensary the my boss was like he reminded me very much of um the dude from the big Lebowski um he was like show up in like robes with a gold chain and be like, everyone gets a free ace. And then we'd be like, cool. <laughs> it was uh but you know, a day in the weed dispensary is like, you'd show up, you count out the register, um, make sure all the cash is there, make sure you have enough change for everybody. And when a customer comes in, you take their um, prescription and you go to the website where you check to make sure that it's real. You type in a number. And then once you have that, they become part of the system of your dispensary. So they're a member of that dispensary. Um, and then, you know, they just pick out whatever weed that they want and you sell it. You have to learn all the different measurements. Like you have to learn that an eighth is 3.5 grams. Um, but honestly, I spend most of the day rolling joints. That's a, that's pro training. Yeah, no, I roll like perfect joints and I can do it really quickly. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a good party skill. But other than that, it's like, I'm like, damn, why isn't this skill? Like, why can't I monetize it now? You know, they just have like weed rolling machines now. But back in the day, it'd be like, I'd have to do it by hand. And if it wasn't perfect, I'd have to redo it. Tell me about the learning curve to being um, like an industrial roller like that. Like how many joints in do you feel like you really hit your stride? That's a good question. I mean, a lot, honestly. It, yeah. For me, it probably took like, I mean, until I could get joints that we could sell in the dispensary, it probably took like 20 or 30 fucked up joints and to this day i struggle with rolling blunts because they're like apparently a very different animal and i just always rip them and mess them up and it's like a total disaster what who who are the the personality types you meet in, in a dispensary i mean honestly we got all kinds like uh, what the dispensary made me realize more than anything is that there isn't one specific type of person who smokes a lot of weed it's just like across the board there's lots of different types we happen to the dispensary that I worked at happened to be right near a hospital. Um, and we weirdly got a lot of uh, cancer patients coming in saying that their doctor had recommended them to come to the dispensary to get weed from us, um, which doctors are not allowed to do, I don't think. Um, but I think there was like some doctor at that hospital that was like really chill and was like telling people who were like, you know, terminal cancer patients, like, this is going to help you like you're going to be able to eat now. And it was you know, selling to those people was really like satisfying. And I, I worked really hard to try to like get them the right stuff because I, I know, like, I'm sure it's just unbelievably hard and they definitely like deserve to get as stoned as they possibly can if they want to. Um, There's something about the idea of a terminal cancer patient and how that interfaces with the way that they name weed strains that just seems a little off where it's like for these <laughs> final few days, 
I'm going to need some more of that purple Urkel. Yeah, it, it was really strange because like they would come in and, you know, you're trained when you work in a dispensary to sort of refer to it as medically as you can. Like you call it yeah. medicine, as weed, and you, you know, give people a prescription with their name on it, like an RX thing. And you talk about like the effects of it versus like this one gets you fucked up. Like you're not supposed to say that. Right. Except the names are all still suggesting all of those things. We definitely did get some people in there who would just say things like, what's going to make me the most fucked up? Like just fucking ruin me and I would I'd be like okay this one will ruin you like you're good um my favorite type of customer who would come in though were like the very like uptight business people which we got like a lot of like as soon as like you know five five thirty hit we would get like a rush of these people in like very nice suits like holding suitcases and consistently the people who were in the most professional outfits were buying the most weed and asking for the weed that made them the most fucked up um, like there was this one guy specifically who would come in every day. He had like just the nicest, most tailored suit. Like I'm, he must've been in advertising or something. Like he looked like fucking John Draper and he would like come in and be like, what's the maximum amount of weed that I can buy in one day? What about people who, who would come in, um, to the dispensary who were like, holy shit, I am completely overwhelmed. Uh, all I've ever bought is Mexican ditch weed when I was in <laughs> high school. And now I have a little, um, you know, little cash in my pocket and yeah. I don't even know where to start. So, yeah, we got a lot of those, too, because the dispensary was um, not far from Venice Beach, which is where I grew up. And, you know, you get a lot of tourists in Venice Beach oh, yeah. uh, showing up being like, I've smoked like weed in fucking Kansas before. But like, what do I do now? And it's like really a different animal if you've only smoked weed in the Midwest or the East Coast and then coming to California. Um, and my main issue was like conveying that to people because like I know personally like myself as a stoner if I go into a weed dispensary and somebody is like this edible is too strong like don't eat the whole thing I'll be like okay sure dude like you obviously don't understand how much weed I smoke and also how dare you (laughs) you take it as a direct personal challenge and just like immediately shove two full cookies in your mouth yeah I've like done it I can't even tell you how many times it's happened to me where like some nice well-meaning guy at the dispensary is like be careful this is very strong and I'm like um excuse me and then get like so strong that it's uncomfortable I don't have a nice time so I mean you didn't you didn't think wow I've got this dispensary job I've got it made I feel like it's very hard to uh it's pretty hard to get hired at a dispensary these days right doesn't like lots of people want the job um I think so yeah I mean I think that it's at the time, I, I was, I was, I mean, it's the best job I've ever had besides writing. Like, I, I loved it. I was like, this is, I stayed there for like two, three years. It was like, uh, it was awesome. I, it yeah. was like a fantastic job and I was super happy about it. I think that in Los Angeles right now, there are a lot of dispensaries. And so I think it is like, if you're like a dude, it's hard to get a job in a dispensary or maybe possible if you're not going to be the security guard because like, like 99% of dispensaries here are going to be like, pretty girl serving you weed because that's what everybody wants like me as a girl i want a girl serving me weed and like dudes also want pretty girls serving them weed so it's like a really weirdly gender separated environment a lot of times where it's like the girls are over with the weed being the bud tenders and then the dudes are at the sign-in desk making sure that everything is cool what i mean for you do you feel like the experience has is different like when you're smoking weed in uh, LA where it's legal versus New York. Well, I never, I didn't, uh, we didn't get there in the story. So you went to New York. What happened in New York? Oh, right. So, um, so I moved to New York um, 
and uh, I, you know, was writing there or whatever, I started dating a guy who was a real douchebag, um, like you do when you move to New York. And he was very into drugs in general. Like he did a lot of cocaine and a lot of blah, blah, blah. And so when I was in New York, I was definitely doing a lot of like harder drugs. Um, like I was doing uh, a lot of cocaine. And like, for anybody who knows me personally, like I don't need cocaine to be somebody who like rambles for hours on end. So like I definitely should not have been doing cocaine. And so I lived there for like a year, maybe a year and a half. And then after that, I moved back to Los Angeles. I, me and that guy broke up. And when I moved back to LA, I remember feeling like, like I don't want to do drugs anymore. They make me exhausted and hungover. I don't like cocaine. I don't like, I just didn't, I didn't want to be doing hard drugs. And then I sort of, I guess, remembered that like weed was something that I really liked for years. Um, and that, you know, that could be an alternative for if I'm feeling, you know, uh, the, the main reason I've done drugs in my life is because I felt anxious or depressed or just struggled with mental illness in a variety of ways. And I, I realized when I came home to Los Angeles that like weed could help me with that in a way that was a lot less harmful to my body and mind. And, you know, within not too long, uh, I was able to, you know, smoke weed instead of drinking and smoke weed instead of doing other drugs. And uh, I just realized it made me feel a lot healthier and that, like, my life was improving steadily. Um, and so I kind of just kept at it. And it's definitely, like, a much more positive thing for me in my life. But at the same time, I, like, the first time I smoked weed, I was like, oh, I love this. This is great. How do you gauge the interaction between weed and other mental health issues have you discussed it with a doctor or anything like that um how does it interact with other emotional issues that are part of your life you know i mean definitely when i first started smoking weed there was more of a tendency towards like anxiety or feeling a little paranoid or something like that and the more i smoked it um the more i realized that screens help a lot in terms of um you know, picking out things that help with anxiety and that don't make me paranoid but also i think just getting used to weed was helpful um i have a therapist and I definitely talked to her about it. And, uh, cause I, I personally was also sort of trying to discern, like, why does this thing help me with my anxiety? Like, why is it that I can be, you know, feeling like I'm going to have a panic attack and then smoke a little weed and I'm, you know, back to being okay and back to not having a panic attack? Because I think most people don't have that reaction to weed. I don't think that's necessarily normal. Do you find that different strains of weed or different ways of, um, using weed? interact differently with those issues for you? Uh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I like first started smoking weed and still sometimes I I have felt like uh, the differences between types of weed is really overblown. Um, and I think that is often true. Yeah, it was funny. I had on uh, Tao Lin on this show uh, who you've published a book uh, called uh, Selected yeah. Tweets with. And Tao, I would say, brings as much documentation and... Um, scientific rigor to smoking weed oh as anyone I've ever encountered. And so I was asking him all of these questions like, oh, so you wait, you know, it was fascinating because most people don't give a shit. But then I was like, do you care about sativa versus indica weed? And he's like, no, nah, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Talon specifically have argued about this in the past because we both 
we both sort of picked up weed again at the same time. And so when we were like getting into it, we talked a lot and uh, we're both very interested in like the more scientific aspects of it and how it sort of interacts and stuff like that. And I definitely do feel a difference between indica and sativa. Um, the reality of it is that most weeds are hybrids. And so it doesn't make a difference for like 90% of weed. But occasionally you'll get a dispensary that does chemically test their weed and you can see literally the percentage of indica and sativa in the weed. And when you get one that's mostly indica for me that's what helps my anxiety the most i've told this to tell a bunch of times and like sent him articles and stuff like that and every time he's like i don't get it like i just don't see the difference i don't know and there's been like no way for me to convince him otherwise i think weirdly i'm more on the the talon side of this argument i have like my yeah. own elaborate uh mythology that i've invented um which for me is that most of these strains are not consistent across different places you find them. In my experience, if you have a great experience with uh, a strain of weed or some sort of an indica sativa mix, uh, by all means, repeat that experience literally, yeah. like go buy the yeah. same weed. But it can be very difficult to take that and then go to a dispensary in a different state or yeah. get a different strain that has a similar sativa and indica mix and expect that you're yeah, going to have any kind of a reliable experience. But also having worked in a dispensary myself and having seen how weed gets purchased for a dispensary, I can absolutely confirm that like the names of strains mean 100% nothing. Like yeah. it means nothing. <laughs> it, we would have people come in. I remember specifically this guy who we would buy weed from all the time. He came in and he was like, I have this new strain. It's really great. The boss smoked it and he was like, this is awesome. I want to buy it. The guy called it, what was it? It was like Gary OG or something. It was like the name of the guy who, who uh, grew it. And the boss was like, mm, this is Girl Scout cookies now, which is like a very popular strain. And we just called it Girl Scout cookies. And then because we had a lot of people coming in asking for Girl Scout cookies. And then we sold it to them and they were like, oh my God, that was so good. Like, I love Girl Scout cookies so much. And then they're going to go to other dispensaries and ask for Girl Scout cookies and it's going to be something 100% different. It's kind of a shame also because I think Gary OG is a pretty great name for a weed strain. Uh, honestly, I thought so too. I was like, I think it's funny. I think we should keep it. And they were like, no, like we want to make more money. <laughs> it's also funny to like brand your weed as yourself, but just tack on an OG at the end. Yeah. Like, None of this, none of this newfangled Gary. <laughs> yeah, the original one. Well, so like that's the other thing is we would have a lot of people coming in asking for OGs, which is like you get that a lot in a dispensary. You'll have some dude come in who's like, I know everything about weed and I only smoke OGs. And the reality of it is that OG means nothing. OG is just something you put on the end of a name of weed just like for fun. Like some dispensaries will tell you that it means that it was grown on the California coast, which is not true. Um, some dispensaries will tell you that it means it's indica, which is not true. Like it, it means nothing. When you're low on money, do you buy the really cheap weed they have at the dispensary sometimes? Like that like yeah. um, bottom oh, yeah. of the wine barrel weed where it's all of yeah, the different the weed from the shake. I, for some reason... I don't know why it makes my brain feel a certain way. I love the concept of buying a weed that's all the dregs from all the other weed. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say the the dispensary that I go to now um, has something that they call a house salad, which they, uh, they take. It's not quite shake. It's not just like the crumbs, but they take like the because I guess now that like weed dispensaries are a thing in Los Angeles, you get a lot of people and I want to say dudes who are like uh 
and I got this in my dispensary too, who like, if you give them too small of a nug, they're like, what is that? Like, I want like the big nug, like give me the good stuff. As like, to me, I'm like, it's all getting fucking ground up anyway. What I want from like a, a weed purchase is like a, like a mossy mulch. Yeah, same, right? Like, that's like exactly what you're turning it into. So like, why bother? And so this weed dispensary I go to actually sells like the, not the shake, but the little nugs at the bottom of the jar mm. for like half the price of most of their weed. And so it's just basically like a mixture of all of the weed in the store that's all good it's only like the top shelf weed they mix it in and it's just like smaller nugs and half the price so i usually get that tell me about how you came to drink an entire bottle of weed lube (laughs) um well i so like I, i mentioned earlier i do have this problem where i go into dispensaries and they'll be like this is a really strong edible don't eat the whole thing and i'm like how dare you i'm a seasoned weed user and i know exactly what i'm doing and then i'll eat the whole thing and have a really bad time this was kind of like that i uh went to this dispensary And I knew what the weed lube was and I wanted to try it. So I got it. Mm. Uh, And the girl there, I was like, how is it? Have you tried this? And she was like, I haven't. But she was, what did she say? She was like, I haven't because like, I haven't been late in a really long time. But I uh, bought a bottle and I do spray it into my mouth sometimes because it's just coconut oil weed and you can do that. She was like, so if it doesn't work out for sex, you can always try that. And I was like, cool, great. Wait, Um, I got to pause you here because I've never gotten a full explanation on the weed lube. My weed dealer offered me weed lube once. It was really uncomfortable. Oh, really? Because, like, he sells weed to me, and the person I'm in a relationship with is usually, like, in the house and room. And I could see he right. kind of waited till she wasn't there. And then he was kind of like, hey, man, I got this weed lube. I just kind of, he was like, he, he, st- he went into it like, this is kind of uncomfortable, but like, would you be interested in some weed lube? And, like, what am I supposed to do here? Because, <laughs> Like, like, what if I have like high dick for a week or something like this? <laughs> high dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like, I, I like heard about weed lube. When I first heard about it, I was like, oh, I've never tried this, but I know that I love it, and it's my new favorite thing ever. Like, I'm gonna get it. Right. Why can't you put weed in your vagina and get high the same way that you get when you eat weed? Right. Like that was sort of my thinking. So like, they do also sell these um, like uh, suppositories that you can put in your vagina that are made of weed that's high in CBD and that's meant to relax your uterus if you're having cramps during your period. Mm. Um, And so I think that the weed lube is meant to function in a similar way where if you're nervous about sex or, you know, not even if you're not nervous about sex, it it acts to sort of relax you beforehand and make you your, um, I don't know, make your vagina relax basically. I Um, think I get, now I'm getting a better picture. I think I was thinking about it more, uh, more along the lines of like icy hot. Like it was going to like cause a like tingling kind of like pop rocks kind of reaction. So if you read the like manual that comes with the weed lube, they do say that it can cause a tingling, but I don't think it's like the kind that you're thinking of. I think it's more of like a tingling in your body, not just like in your genitals and not like the icy hot way, like just more of like a general, like your body feels good, right? Like what they say is that if you put the weed lube in your vagina, you get a body high and not a head high. So you don't get any of like the aspects of weed that make you hungry or tired or paranoid but you do get the full body relaxation and what what form does this weed lube take so it uh is a coconut oil a liquid coconut oil Um, okay so it doesn't the coconut oil doesn't harden the way the normal coconut oil does and then it's infused with um weed oil so there's like no traces of physical weed in it there's no like bits of it or anything like that (laughs) it's like the same (laughs) yeah that would be bad right (laughs) Um, i said no small nugs 
put nugs up my vagina all the time. <laughs> like, is there a suggested dose or is the suggested yeah, so- dose about how much lube you would normally use? Um, so they say that uh, it comes with a spray bottle. And so they say that what you're supposed to do is uh, spray it on your vagina 20 to 30 minutes before intercourse. Um, you can spray it on the inside and on the outside. And you're supposed to let it sit there for 20 or 30 minutes. That way the effect of it can set in before you start having sex. Um, and the, the idea being that you'll become relaxed and your body will start to feel good and blah, blah, blah. They also say that you can put it on the penis if you want, but it won't have any physical effect on the man by doing that. The only reason you do that is if you want to like flick it off and get stoned yourself, basically. Mm. I feel like a lot of dudes would put the weed lube on their dick, even being told this is not going to do anything <laughs> yeah. for you. Like oh, yeah. most, most, most dudes are at least going to try. Um, how does the, how does the weed lube end up getting drunk? Yeah. So I got home with the weed lube. I did what the instruction said. I like put it on my vagina. I waited. And then I was like, okay, now I can have sex with my, uh, then boyfriend, now fiance. And, uh, we had sex. It was good. I felt, you know, what the things that I would feel. I felt like my body was a little tingly. It was nice. It was smelled like weed, which was nice. Got a nice smell to it. Uh, you know, it was it was good. It was fine. But as a, you know, pretty heavy stoner myself, I was disappointed that I didn't get actually stoned. I was like, why? Like, that was fine and nice, but, like, I'm not stoned now. Like, I want to be high. Like, that doesn't make sense. And, like, I'm not getting my money for it, basically. Um, you wanted to get super high from lube. Right. Yes. And I want I wanted to get super high via my vagina. And that's just not what the product does. And it's not high. You just can't do that. It just doesn't work. Right? Well, let's um, let's not say never. So, modern science has right. done has accomplished okay. a lot of things. I believe in yeah. your lifetime, you will probably get vagina high. Man, I really hope you're right. Because that would just be I, I would probably give up smoking if I could just get high via my vagina. <laughs> OK, so your vagina doesn't get high to your liking. Um, you still got yeah. the bottle of loop. The sex is done. I still have the bottle of lube. Tyler goes to the bathroom. I'm looking at the lube, and I'm like, oh, that girl said that I could drink it if, like, I wanted to. Like, I could just have some sprays in my mouth. Fine. I feel like this was dubious advice from her. In her defense, it is just coconut oil and weed. So it's, like, the exact same thing as if you were to, like, cook weed coconut oil at your house and then eat that. It's the same thing. So, like, being the person that I am, she told me, you know, you could spray it in your mouth a couple times, and then you'll get high also. And I was like, cool. So when she said spray it in your mouth a couple times, uh, what I heard was I spray it in my mouth a couple times, but you should drink the whole bottle, Mira. Yeah. Because you have a tolerance. You've and, got this. Uh, you've, so you've got this challenge me attitude even towards people who work in weed dispensaries. Exactly. And so instead of doing that, I, uh, without looking at the weed content, without looking at how many milligrams were in it, without reading any of the warnings, I just drank the whole bottle. And it's. What did it taste like? Bad. Really bad. It, it tasted like. You know, imagine if you took some ground up weed and some olive oil and tried to drink that. That's what it tasted like. But, you know, it's like it was like the amount of liquid that's in like a shot. Right. So it was like not it was easy to drink in one gulp. Like I just drank it down. So I, I figured stupidly because it was so small, it was probably not that strong. You know, it's probably I, 100 milligrams tops. Right. Like whatever. All I can handle that. Immediately afterwards, I looked at the box and it said 800 milligrams. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> For people who can't do that math in their head, a very strong edible that you should probably cut up is like 25 milligrams. Yeah. Like if you've like never had like an edible in Los Angeles before, like I would recommend 10 milligrams. 10 milligrams would be like a decent dose. Yeah. 
yeah, like probably like edibles that you can get like in New York from like the best dealer are like no more than 25 milligrams. 800 milligrams is enough to stun a uh, giraffe. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, make someone like me who smokes weed every day, like high for like four straight days. Like just, I remember Tyler coming out of the bathroom right after I drank it. And it was the first time I'd ever felt like genuine panic from consuming too much edible. Cause normally, you know, if I get way too high, it's like fine. Like I'm just way too high for a day and then I sleep and I'm like a little tired the next day and it's done. And normally I have fun even like it's, it's pretty rare for me to get so high that I don't have a good time. But, you know, I never had 800 milligrams at one time before. That's like an insane amount of weed to consume. Um, so I was like, I was like, fuck, like, what have I done? And Tyler was like, it's fine. Just go to sleep. Like, you're going to be okay. You smoke so much weed. It'll be a little bit high, whatever. But I was like peak levels of stone for four straight days. What is it like to be stoned for four straight days? It's the rare weed activity that I have never participated in. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily recommend it. Um, I I didn't have a bad time, to be honest. It was, like, weird and confusing, and I couldn't do anything, pretty much. Like, it was like I was a baby again, and, like, Tyler had to just care for me. Like, he had to, like, like bathe me and, like, like help me, like, turn on the TV and shit. Like, I was just, like, I couldn't, like, talk to people in a normal way. My eyes were, like, it looked like I had pink eye in both eyes. Like, it was, it was a lot. Did you experience the, like possibility that you were going to be high forever so i think that i had enough like experiences with edibles in my teen years that where i got so high that i was like oh my god i'm going to be high forever and it's never going to go away that like i i knew that it wasn't going to last forever like that was like another thing that my mom told me and from a very young age was like if you take acid and you're having a really bad time just remember like it does not last forever like no matter how high you are and if you feel like it's gonna last forever just remember it doesn't and so that I guess was sort of burned into my brain at the time so I, I knew that I wasn't going to be high forever but I didn't know how long I was going to be high and that was anxiety inducing when is it going to end am I going to be high for a week am I going to be high for two weeks I found myself like googling things like what's the longest a person's ever been high and stuff like that wait what is the longest a person's ever been high you know i looked it up and what was it? it was like a long time it was like two weeks or something like that it was pretty crazy they don't have like uh censuses on it like they don't have any like official um you know records because like, it's not like a legal drug so they're not gonna like try to get somebody as high for like as long as they possibly you can't can. get in the guinness book of world records for having being high for the longest yeah, they, like, don't let you go in the Guinness Book of World Records if you're, like, breaking the law. <laughs> I basically had to have Tyler, like, cancel everything that I had to do. And I just, like, sat there. And, like, I probably gained, like, 20 pounds in those days. Like, I just ate and ate and ate. And, like, just sat there. Like, I blacked out for a lot of it. There's a lot of it that I honestly don't remember. Um, which is something that has never happened to me before. Like, I don't think I've ever blacked out from weed besides that time. <laughs> it's now on your Google search results. And this isn't like the only thing that you've put on the internet that um, no, yeah. <laughs> might lead people to have a certain impression of you um, before they met you or had like a job yeah. interview with you. I'm curious as someone who's like lived in public that way, um, what it's like venturing out into the world. You're 25, like, when I was 25, I was like trying to get my first real job and I was kind of like, you know, and none of the shit existed then either. Um, what's it like right. living so publicly around this stuff, both weed and also other things that are embarrassing that you can be open about? I mean, in a way, I do feel like I 
am so open about like embarrassing things and about like weed and stuff like that to sort of prevent myself from ever getting a straight laced job. Like <laughs> I, uh, I've had, you know, office jobs and I've worked in, in retail and blah, blah, blah. And, and then each, every time besides the week of century actually, but uh, like pretty much every like straight laced normal job I've had, I've been completely miserable. Just like, I feel like I have to, hide every aspect of myself i feel like nobody likes me i feel like a total weirdo i feel it's just been like a complete misery every single time and i i do think that somewhere in my brain like the reason why i write the things i do is to sort of like solidify the need to be an artist in my life or something like the only real job that i can get at this point is a job that involves all of the things that come up when you Google me, right? Like if you Google me and the Vice article that I wrote about the weed lube comes up, if you're a straight laced employer, you're going to go, what the fuck, this girl drinks weed lube, I'm not going to hire her. But if you're like a publication, you're going to go, well, she wrote a popular article, so I will hire her. So in some ways, writing about weed lube on the internet is kind of like, it's like a literary face tattoo. Right, kind of, yeah, in a way. it's it's, And I definitely like have also tattooed, not my face, but my body like for this, <laughs> Is that sort of like I, I funny you should mention that because I have weed lube tattooed on my face. Yeah, I'm right across my forehead. It just says weed lube. <laughs> um, okay, at the end of the show, uh, I like to ask uh, everyone the same set of questions. It's called peak experiences. So, my first question we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but what is your favorite way uh, to enjoy marijuana? You know, I mean, it it does vary. Uh, the way that I smoke weed most often is through a bong. But I think that if I'm talking about like what my favorite experience of being stoned is or of getting stoned, yeah, I enjoy like not smoking weed all day, and then when it gets to like six or seven p.m., eating an edible on an empty stomach too. Like the strongest possible effect of a weed edible is my favorite way to be stoned. I think. But What's your favorite of, like, edible? Ooh, I think weed lemonade probably, or like any kind of weed beverage, which I like because it, uh, it, it like hits you kind of as fast as smoking. Like it takes like 10, 15 minutes and then it kicks in versus normally edibles take like one or two hours, which I get really impatient for. And I'll often smoke during that. And then I'll be like way too stoned. Um, versus lemonade is like, I don't have to smoke, but it has kind of the same effect as smoking. Okay. Question number two, what is a place somewhere in the world, um, that is special to you, a place that you have visited uh, or a place you come back to? Can I say my bed? <laughs> that, you can. That, like, not... Yeah, tell me, well, tell um, me about it. Uh, tell, tell me about your your room. Um. Well, my well, I just moved apartments like a few months ago. So my room right now, Tyler basically gave me, the, the person I live with, my fiance, uh, gave me free reign on picking the color of paint that we paint our apartment. And so I Dangerous. chose hot pink for our bedroom with an even hotter pink trim which is sort of like my dream bedroom that I've always wanted since I was a little girl, like just the most girly, insane bedroom. Um, we also have a pink rug and a pink comforter. But I mean, bed in general is a place that I've always really liked. Uh, I think, I don't know, I, I've like, <laughs> like talked about this in therapy and I still don't fully understand it, but like I feel like safer, I think, in bed than in a lot of places. Like I honestly do a lot of my work in bed. Like if I'm... I have a desk and I do a lot of my work there too, but like writing specifically, I feel more capable of getting it done when I'm in bed under covers. I don't know what it is, but if I have like a computer on my lap and I'm laying down in bed, I'm like 90% more able to write than if I'm sitting at my desk. Can you recommend a stoned viewing experience? Ooh, 
Yes, I can, but what can I... There's so many options. A lot of options. I would definitely recommend the new Twin Peaks. I think that's something that, especially if you've seen the old Twin Peaks and you're a David Lynch fan, yeah. is really fun to watch Stones. It's, like um, it's very much about sort of like the environment of the show. It's the kind of thing where you can understand that like there's no real plot happening and yet be fully entertained and specifically i would recommend the got a light episode which is to me it's a masterpiece but it's also like really insane and weird and like barely makes any sense and it's sort of like more of a video collage of like david lynch than anything what is your favorite snack so it varies i think Uh, like i definitely like go through snack phases where i'm really obsessed with one specific snack um right now i'm obsessed with the lime flavored lay's potato chips or limon is what they call them um I was before that uh, really into the salt and vinegar kettle chips, but the I prefer the lime ones now. Those like the experimental Lay's flavors, I've tried a lot of them because I, I do consider myself a chips connoisseur and I am a very big fan of potato chips, but most of them are gross. You're going to be on a desert island the rest of your life. You can bring mm-hmm. uh, one piece of music, and usually I say uh, the music is in the format that music came out during your high school years. So I don't know, maybe this is like a oh. streaming MySpace page or something for you, but uh, you're allowed to bring one album with you. Um, something that's been with you through life and that you would want to, to always have uh, as that comfort uh, on this Island where weed also grows. This is a question that I'm glad the weed grows on my Island, by the way, that's yeah. important. <laughs> I mean, basically you're going to be sitting on this Island smoking weed for the rest of your life. And you got like a soundtrack. Yeah, I'm down for that. Like, send me to that island. <laughs> this is something I've like, I've been asked this question before and I've always struggled with answering it. But now that I'm thinking about you've, it, I think the You've been asked like, what album would you bring to a weed island before? Because <laughs> usually the island doesn't have weed in it. People are always coming up to me on the street and asking me about this one. I think the reality is that most of the time when people are asking me this question, I feel the need to sort of say something that doesn't make me look really uncool. Right? Totally. Like I want to like say uh, like an album that's like a cool album that people will be like, all right, like that's acceptable. But like thinking about it now and this, I keep coming back to this and like, let me just be very clear before I say the album that I'm going to pick. I am, I was not a huge fan of her most recent album, nor was I a huge fan of the most recent two songs that she put out, but I probably would pick the album Red by Taylor Swift, even though she's, I'm not saying that I like support her as a human. You, you being, don't. You don't. Need to, you don't need to apologize here, Mary. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like qualifying it with so many different things. Every time I see Taylor Swift, I'm like crossing my fingers, like make another album like Red, please. Like I know you have it in you. You can do it, and she just won't do it. Sad, but I think that is the album I would choose. Very good. What is something that you're looking forward to in life? I guess like having a baby. I really like babies, uh, and I feel like I would be a really good mom. And like I. Have, I've been like a nanny my whole life and I've I had younger siblings my whole life. So like playing with other people's babies and like hanging out with babies is my number one favorite activity. So to be able to do that, like with a baby that is my own seems really cool. And I think that's probably what I'm most looking forward to. Having grown up with um, parents who did their own thing and knowing that you want to have a baby, what do you think you would tell your own child about uh, weed? as they uh, developed into an adolescent? Um, I think I would be as honest about it as I could. I think I would say, like, you know, obviously it's better to, like, 
not use drugs as much as you can. And if smoking weed like affects your career and your happiness, then, you know, don't do it. But I think that like, if you're going to do a drug or if you're going to, you know, if you want to get fucked up at some point, which most people do, that weed is safer than alcohol and it's safer than every other drug. And like, that's the the drug that I would prefer them using. And that is like the safest if they want to experiment with that. Never drink weed lube. Yeah. I would tell them never drink weed lube. I definitely 100% would say that. And I would also say like, if someone at a dispensary tells you only eat half of an edible, don't eat the whole thing. Like mommy did. Uh, oh, thank oh. you. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure. Anytime. That was Stoner. Uh, as I said, at the top of the program, we are coming to the end of the first season. Uh, we have a show next week after that. So there'll be a show next Tuesday. After that, we are going to take a short break uh, to start planning the second season, which is going to be even bigger, even better. And I want to hear from you about who you'd like to hear on the show. If you got a tip for me, send it to hi, hi at stoner.co. I will see you next Tuesday.